get organised. Sorry, just a sec. Last time I didn't have little sticky notes hanging off the side because as I went through this this morning, I thought, oh, I better add that, I better add that. And Rob said to me this morning, what would happen if I shuffled your pages and things fell off? And I I said to him, I'd give you the message and ask you to deliver it. (laughs) So he didn't dare touch my notes. So that's a start. Okay, it is a privilege to be able to share with you again today. It was um, was in December when you guys were on holidays. That's the last time. And and this year now we're already in March. So it's um, the year's ticking on. Um, just before we, we do start today, and it's great to see Faith here today. Did we notice that Pastor Faith Battistella is in the house today? So welcome to Faith. She had no idea I was speaking, so it's just a fluke she's here, but it's lovely to see you, Faith. Welcome to anyone who's visiting as well. We've got people from other churches, and of course we've got other people who are away on holidays from our own family today, so um, welcome to God's house. Um, the message that um, I want to share with you today um, has been on my heart probably since about Christmas time. And um, so it's kind of been brewing in the background for a while. And then when Andrew said to me last Monday, do you reckon you could speak this Sunday? <laughs> I said, sure, I can pull that together. <laughs> so, so I just want to pray first that God would allow me to pull that message together today. So let's pray, please. Father God, we trust you with everything. Well, God, we trust you with our lives. We trust you with our futures. And we trust you with the immediate moment now as well. So we just ask that Holy Spirit you would speak to us through the words that you've given me. I pray, Lord God, that anything that I'm about to say that you don't want me to say, that would just go from my mind. And if there's something else that you do want to place in my mind for me to share because it's coming from you, I pray then, Holy Spirit, you'd prompt me and lead and guide me. So bless each of us here this day, Lord God. I just pray that we're here with open hands and open hearts to say, God, what do you have to say to me today? And pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Alrighty, so it's glasses time today. I realise that, yeah, I'm not 52 anymore. Okay, so um, at the end of last year, um, Nick said, or the very start of this year, Nick said to me, you know, God just prophetically said to me that 2022 is going to be a year of trouble and a year of disaster. I thought, oh, that's not good to hear. But um, he was very clear about it. And if we think about what's happening around us, um, some of those things that are happening even here and now, there's um, the flooding in the east, eastern states of Australia. In the west, they had fires over the, over the summer. There was a, a volcanic eruption near Vanuatu. And, of course, a current war in the Ukraine at the moment that's just absolutely devastating. But not only that, there's been lots of our church family who also have had disasters happening in their life or trouble or difficulties. And whether it be physical in a small way or a big way, there's still troubles. Whether it be something that happens in our emotions or in our our mental processing, whatever that might be, we face things. So none of us are immune to trouble. And um, my favourite verse, and it has been for as long as I can remember, is Psalm 46, verse 10. And it says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. It then goes on to say, I will be exalted amongst the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. And I love that, the I will, the I will. Kind of, you know, makes you think of a, you know, a wedding ceremony when they say, I will, I will. It's a really serious thing, like they mean it. And when God says, I will, he means it. So um, I want to start, first of all, with um, just a little bit of background. So, um, so as far as Psalm 46, it ties in with Second Kings, and there's also, it also ties into Chronicles, and there's also part of um, Isaiah that, that ties in with. So I just want to let you know there's going to be a little bit of a history lesson here, but I'm going to bring it together and bring it back later to Psalm 46. 
So um, starting here. So be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Um, so when we hear that, I wonder if we visualise just sitting still. Because when someone says, be still, you know, like you try and say that to a school kid, that's not going to happen, let's be real. But, you know, be still, um, we probably think of that. But it's not the only intention in the word, Psalm 46, verse 10. Um, so, sorry, I'm going to have glasses on and off today, guys. Um, what did we get to? Um, the context is actually super, super important. And any time we read God's word, it's not just one um, verse in isolation. We actually need to see the verse in the context of how it was set. Um, so in scripture, I'd like to unpack Psalm 36, um, sorry, 46, verse 1 through to 11 today to see the entire story and not just that one verse. Unlike many psalms that um, often begin with the trouble and the outcall and the outpouring to God, Psalm 46, verse 1 is quite different because it starts with, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And I love that because what's happened for starters is God is being acknowledged for who he is before we then talk about the trouble. So if we have the perspective of who God is in our life and what he can do, then when the trouble and the other things come, it doesn't matter. And, and even like that new song today, Jireh is enough. So Jehovah Jireh, who is my provider, Jireh is enough. God is always enough for us. And so when we have that perspective... Then, as we read through the rest of the verses, um, we can already have that stance or that mindset that God is our refuge and our strength. So, it then goes on. Page 2 that Rob didn't mess with. Here we go. So, Psalm 46, verse 2 then goes on to say, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And I remember listening to Joyce Meyer one time. She says, any time it says therefore, you've got to go back and see what was before it to know what therefore means. So because God is our refuge and our strength, that's where we stand. Therefore, we will not fear, okay? Though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So that's then verse 2 and verse 3. Now, they're pretty big things that are happening and they're big kind of like natural disaster pictures, but it doesn't just have to be natural disasters pictured in that. When we talk about mountains, we're talking about big things, big obstacles in our life that just seem to be huge and come against us. And they might seem insurmountable at the time, but those sort of mountains, God can deal with. And when it talks about the earth quaking, you know, um, sometimes you're standing up here having to do something and your legs start to shake and you hope no one sees. But earthquake, look, our legs kind of shake when we get upset or when we get distressed or we get um, a bit overwhelmed. So in life, these things can happen to us, and we might think that things are falling apart around us, but we then go back to verse 1, the therefore, because God is our strength and our refuge. I'll try and follow notes here so I don't get out of, out of sorts. Um, so although all kinds of scary and terrible things might come against us, um, we don't need to worry because God is with us. So I want to now move to the historical context of Psalm 46. And it starts at the very top of Psalm 46. It says, for the director of music of the sons of Korah. So the sons of Korah were um, like choir members who sang in the temple. And they were from the Levite tribe. And um, so they wrote this song, but they wrote it in response to something that was happening in 2 Kings. So they cry th the cry throughout Psalm 46 comes from the troubling situation that was taking place in the southern kingdom of Israel in Judah, and it was in the early 700 BCs. And I just want to go back one tiny step before that. Under King David, Israel was a united kingdom. 
Okay, but when his son Solomon took over, for a period of time it was a united kingdom, but eventually it broke through civil war into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So, um, so Solomon was... Um, I'm going to turn us to First Kings here just to find out what was happening with Solomon. So these instructions were given to Solomon. Um, 1 Kings 11, verse 1 and 2. 1 Kings 11, 1 and 2. Okay, it said, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign wives besides Pharaoh's daughter. He loved the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edenites, and the Sidonites and the Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn you away, um, your hearts away after their gods. So King Solomon had been told not to marry many women, and that's probably lots of very good reasons for that. Husbands might know that you don't want many wives, but also not to marry many foreign women because their gods might be introduced into the household. But he didn't listen. So in his later years, um, his, his heart was turned to allow these foreign gods to be um, shared and worshipped in Israel alongside Yahweh. So that was part of that um, historical bit. This, and so this then eventually led to the division of Israel through a civil war. So the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were established and that was in 930 BC. So then that was immediately after the death of um, King Solomon in 931 BC. So now with that timing, so King Solomon's just passed away, civil wars happened, the northern kingdom's been established with ten tribes and the lower kingdom with the southern kingdom with two tribes. And King Hezekiah was the king in Judah, in the southern kingdom, and he was in Jerusalem. So in 701 BC, in Assyria at this same time, King Sennacherib in Nineveh, in the capital, um, was head of the Assyrian army. And the Assyrian army were the bad boys. Like if you think about the thugs, the ones who would take you out kind of thing, that was what the Assyrian army was. And listening to commentary about it, if you think of like Gladiator or you think of Braveheart, that sort of things, when things were really violent, that was kind of the picture historically of the Assyrians at the time. They were a really um, big force and wherever they went, they just devastated nations. So to keep the peace, the um, King Sennacherib and other kings before him demanded that other countries would pay a tribute to um, Assyria so that they then wouldn't come to your country and overtake you and take you into captivity. And so for a while after um, King Hezekiah's dad Ahaz passed away, the, the routine was that yes, they would pay tribute to Assyria. But after a few years, King Hezekiah said, why are we doing this? This is wrong because King Hezekiah was a god was a godly man. He had a heart after God. And so he stopped paying this tribute to um, the king of Assyria. Now, a few years passed by, and then all of a sudden, um, this point came to be that he had to account for that. Like, it wasn't like the bully was going to stop saying, give us your pocket money. So King um, Sennacherib, with his Assyrian army, worked his way through the northern kingdom, overtook the whole ten tribes in the northern kingdom, and was on his way down to Jerusalem. And that's kind of the setting of where we are in Psalm 46. So there's this nasty invading army about to come and possibly overtake Jerusalem and overthrow King Hezekiah and take the children of Jerusalem, the king of Israel, um, out of the country. So <clears throat> we come to Second Kings chapter 18, and I want to read from um, where I'm here, 
verse 5 and 7. So Hezekiah trusted in the Lord and the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, and he did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord um, that had been given to Moses. So King Hezekiah was a godly man, and he trusted in God. Now we go forward to um, verse 32 and verse 33 in chapter 18. I want to read those to you. Do not... And so this is directly when the Assyrian chief of the army has sent a letter to King Hezekiah to say, you need to surrender. We've surrounded Jerusalem. We're here. We want to take over your country. We want to um, take hold of your people and take them into captivity. And so this letter has just been delivered to King Hezekiah. This is King Hezekiah's response. Uh, Sorry. um, this, This was the letter that was coming to King Hezekiah. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? So this was the message saying basically, we've wiped out everyone else on the way. You know, why would your God be able to save you that hasn't saved the other people? And so King Hezekiah receives this letter. So do not listen. We jump to 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 36, which says, um, But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, Do not answer. So here's this thing to say, Surrender. And yet King Hezekiah was standing firm in God and he said, don't, don't answer. So sometimes when the enemy is coming against us, what God wants us to do is quieten the enemy and shut them out and don't listen. We often have enemies that come into our lives in all sorts of different ways and we need not to give it any headspace, let alone any heart space. So we're not to listen. So the people remain silent. So this teaches us that we can do the same. So the Assyrian army was camped just outside the city of Jerusalem and they demanded King Hezekiah to surrender and be prepared to be taken away into captivity. But remember that King Hezekiah was a godly man and he trusted God fully. So when he received this letter telling him to surrender, he responded in a godly way, not as a vulnerable or a scared man. And we read that in 2 Kings 19, um, verse 14 to 19. And I just want to share those couple of verses. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. So it's important to note here when he got this bad news to say surrender, He didn't crumble and fall apart and give in. He actually went to church. He went to the temple. And when he was in the temple in church, he prayed to God. And we do that here too. And then he finishes up and it goes further along and then he actually prays the Lord. So those three things were his response when something was going tough in his life. Not blame God, but run to God. He went to church, he prayed, and he praised. And we can all take that point in our life, I'm sure. Um, so with confidence in God, Hezekiah did not surrender and that was the scene. So now that's a historical background of when we get to Psalm 46. Now I'd like to open up Psalm 46 and um, I think Vicky's going to put that up on the screen for us. We'll go through verse by verse, but very quickly. So verse 1, as I said before, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. 
So therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So basically now we can see the context. This stuff is coming against us. The armies are coming against us. But we already know that God is our refuge and our strength. Now, part of the model of this church is that we're a refuge, and a refuge means a safe place. So God is our safe place to run to whenever trouble hits us. So the safe place is like an external thing. And then when it says God is our strength, that's an internal thing, that we can draw on the strength of the Lord as we face anything. So around us, externally, he looks after us and keeps us safe, and internally he also keeps us safe. And I love in the second part of verse 1 where it says God is an ever-present help in trouble. So that word omnipresent, God is always present with us, is just being reminded here. It's another um, facet of who God is. So he's ever-present with us. So never not near us, always tangible. And I don't know whether at school you you used to call out um, the role and say, yes, present, present, present means I'm here, but you can only be here in one place as people. But because God is omnipresent, he is always ever-present with each of us. So it means he can always be our strength and our refuge. So as I just read through verse 2 and 3 there before, it then spoke about all the, the disasters and things that can happen. But God can still be our peace there. At the very end of verse 3, um, in the King James Version, it then says, Selah. And Selah means to pause. So it's talking about all these terrible things that have happened. And it says, but hang on, just pause. And it means taking who God really is, even though this situation is happening around us. And I wonder how many times we forget the sailor part in our lives and we rush off kind of in panic or trying to figure things out for ourselves instead of just going, sailor, pause, that being still and knowing that he is God. So then we get to verse 4, and it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Now, I wonder if anyone knows where the city of God is. What's the name of the city that's the city of God? (laughs) Yes, and amen to that. But historically in Israel, it was Zion, so Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's the city of God. And Nick and I had the privilege of going to to Israel and to be in Jerusalem back in the late 80s and there is no river that flows through Jerusalem. There are little streams, little brooks on the outside but there is no stream or river that flows right through the middle of the city. And though verse 4 says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, although there's no river there, the river represents calm. You know the old hymn, you know, peace like a river attendeth my soul? So just that notion of just the calm that God's got you no matter what is happening. Um, Then we move on to verse 5. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of days. We're still talking about Jerusalem not falling. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Now those other nations in the northern kingdom, all ten of them, they've been wiped out. And God is still with the people here in Jerusalem. King Hezekiah is a godly man and he's following Yahweh. And so when these people come against him, though other nations have fallen, it says, this one won't. And it's because they stood and they trusted in God. Okay. 
Okay, and just, just a point of interest too here, because there was no river that flowed through Jerusalem, when they were taken siege, you've got um, King Sennacherib and his whole army, are about 145,000 people surrounding Jerusalem at this time. So this fortified city, here it keeps them safe in, but at this point in time, they're now held hostage in their city. They can't get out to get food or to get water, and because there's no river there, they really, in the middle of... Um, Israel in the desert, they need water to survive. But Hezekiah had been cunning in his, in his planning towards this, hearing um, reports of King Sennacherib and his army from Assyria coming towards them, and he had re-diverted a stream from outside the city into the city. And there's a thing called Hezekiah's Tunnel in Jerusalem, where this stream was um, basically bricked up, a bit like the Yarrowee Creek going through Ballarat to allow some water to come into the city. So they actually still had a provision because God had already given him the foresight to do that. So we move on to verse 6 now. Nations are not broad, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts, but Jerusalem is safe. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the Lord Almighty is with us. And it kind of makes you remember that, you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? And in this case, although King Sennacherib and the Assyrian army was against Jerusalem, because God was for them, none of that actually mattered. Okay, they were still safe. The second part of that says, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. So a fortress, once again, is a safe place. But when it was used back um, earlier on as a refuge, it was just a general safe place. When you get to verse 7 here, this fortress or this Um, refuge word actually means like high tower, something even more protective, higher to look after you even more. And the fact that it is the God of Jacob, because God made covenant with Abraham and that flowed through to Isaac and to Jacob. And so here also we're being reminded of the covenant, covenant that God made with Abraham that we would be his children and he would be our God and he would look after us. And if we know anything about Jacob, there was Jacob and Esau and Jacob was the rascal of the two. You know, he's the one who stole the birthright of Esau and yet God still honoured him and still speaks of him here in his word. So even sometimes when we're a bit of a scallywag and we probably do things we shouldn't, you know, God, he remembers his covenant to Abraham which goes through to Isaac and through to the Jacobs and at times we're all the Jacobs. Had a sticky note there, it's all right. Okay, verse 8. It goes on to say, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. So God does works. So just being reminded at different times, God is doing works and we need to see. Verse 9 says, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. So with verse 9 here, I want to take us to um, 2 King chapter 19 and just share verse 32 to 36. And it says, Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp up against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, they saw the dead bodies. 
So King Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew and he returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. So these people did not even have to pick up any weapon to fight. God dealt with that. Now, there are 145,000 in the actual army, but the whole 185,000 was the rest of the support encampment. So King Sennacherib wakes up in the morning and his whole army and all these people have been taken out. And because of that, tail between his legs, he heads back to Nineveh. And eventually he's actually taken out by his own family in Nineveh when he gets back. So God is a God who fights our battle. And that reminds me of the song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. So many times songs just come to me, come to me, and it's just God affirming his word. The battle belongs to the Lord. Now, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And we're told to put on the, ar- the armour of God in, in Ephesians 6, which we put on the armour to defend ourselves. And it's the word of God that's the only attacking piece that he wants us to use. So the battle belongs to the Lord. And in this case, that was evident there. The people woke up and saw that all were taken out. So they'd been looked after. Um, So then we come to verse 10, which is my favourite verse. It's probably the one most of you would know in Psalm 46. We get to verse 10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. Now the word still here is the Hebrew word rafa. And it actually means surrender or to hand over. So in this situation, it's saying, be still and know that I'm God. So surrender, hand over to me because I'm God. And, um, and I reckon that's absolutely fantastic that we don't have to do the fighting. God does it for us. So God calls us to turn to him, to, to, to seek him in prayer, to worship him, to love him. He doesn't call us to the battle. So that word, you have to hand it over. It means to recognise that we don't have to face adversity in our own strength, but with God's help and with his strength. And the second part of that verse that goes on, um, that says, and know that I am God. The Hebrew word there is yada, and that word yada means see what I do. You've seen it before, you'll see it again. So when he says, "And, and know that I am God, he goes, Look back at what I've done for you before because I will do it again. And I love that song. Um, There's always a song attached to things I'm thinking. Um, um, You know, that I've seen him do it before and he's going to do it again. I can't exactly think of the words. You know, the song that we often sing here. And it also reminded me of the song um, from Elevate, sorry, where it says, I've seen you move, you've moved the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. So... Whatever the mountains are in our life here and today, whatever the trouble is, yeah. might be a physical ailment. Okay? It might be an emotional issue that you're working through. It might be a relationship problem. might be some mental health, um, um, just troubles and pressures that are coming along. We can know that whatever that mountain is in our life, God says that whatever he's done before, he's removed the mountains, he can move the mountain again. Yeah. And we need to trust that that is true in our life. Yeah. Turn to God trust him and let him deal with that because we're not called to worry we're called to worship and when we worship that's our battle cry and we do that so beautifully here I believe at Mount Clear because worship is such a big part of of who we are and what we do and we don't do that just to tick off with you know sung four songs over 35 minutes or whatever it actually brings us into a place where we can trust God where we can praise him where we can worship him and where we can say la actually pause in our worship and let God deal with things we don't need to carry the load so often we 
give something to God, but we take it back or take part of it back. And God says, and I love with Jenny, she said, you know, we're complete in Christ. When we give it to him, he wants us to give him things completely, not partially, because he wants to do a complete work in our life. <clears throat> Nearly there, I'm the last half of the last page. I've just got to find where I'm up to. <laughs> okay, and so 2 King 19, verse 15. So 2 King verse 19, verse 15. And it said, And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. And so that should be our go-to place any time we're in trouble, to go and pray to God. He knows it already, and he knows, it's a bit like holding a ball. We only see something this side, we don't see it the other side of the ball. He already sees what's on the other side, so he already knows what's there. So we just need to pray to him, commit to him, and continue in worship to honour God and allow him to deal with whatever the mountains are in our life. Now, that doesn't mean it's always easy, but, but that's the pattern that we need to follow. So I just want to finish here then with verse 11 of Psalm 46 because it's the very last verse in the passage. And it says, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So, He's reminding us what he's already told us earlier in the passage. It's a bit like when you do a summary or a conclusion. You come back to the main point. The Lord Almighty is with us. So he's the God of all might. He's with us. The God of Jacob, so the God of our covenant, is our fortress. So he's our safe place. He's our refuge. He's where we can go to no matter what is happening. And then at the very end of that verse, the final thing it finishes with is Selah. So pause, take it all in. And just trust that that is the God that we serve. That's the God that we worship. That's the God we come here to praise. And, um, and know that whatever the mountains are in your life, whatever the hassles are that you face, which, which are real, we don't belittle the fact that hassles are real in our life. I mean, Andrew can't deny that he had tummy problems. You know, I'm sure others in the family would have attested to that. And he's obviously shared you know, beautiful pictures to us here today. But um, you know, whatever comes against us, God's got it. And just in finishing, the song that we um, sang earlier today, You Reign Above It All, sing Hallelujah to the Everlasting One, I'd like to leave that as, as the last bit of the word because God always ties everything in together just like he does in his word, okay, and even in our service. And that was one of the prayers earlier, that everything would just be united and just give glory to God. So just want to finish with this. Jenny loves to do the affirming statement. So Jenny, you reign above it all, sing Hallelujah to the Everlasting One. So in your own hearts and minds, I just ask that you yourselves, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but you would say, you reign above it all, and we trust you, God. So just want to say um, thank you for listening, and I pray that God would touch, touch your heart. And if there are mountains happening in your life, please come to church, pray to God, and worship him. He's always got the answers. Thank you.